Greetings and welcome to another episode of Excellence at All Costs. I am super excited to welcome my special guest for this week, Ms. Robin Merrick. Um, she is the Vice President for External Affairs and University Relations at within the Southern University System. And it is actually the largest university system of HBCUs in the country. So I am super honored. Um, Ms. Merrick, would you like to introduce yourself for our listeners? Absolutely, Michelle. Thank you so much for having us here today. Uh, I do want to just back up and say that uh, not only are we large here at Southern University, but we are actually the only historically Black university system in the nation. Uh, so there's, there's really no rival uh, for Southern University. I just want to put that shameless plug out there for us that uh, we are the only historically Black university system. And it does indeed make us unique in terms of what we do and how we operate. Absolutely. I am a fan of shameless plugs, especially when it promotes our people. So yes, go for it. As many as you need to. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. I love it. I love it. Um, especially, um, you know, within the SWAC, I grew up in Kentwood, Louisiana. So the only two schools I knew about, you know, during you know, I would say around three, four years old, were Southern University and Grambling. And I actually used to go to the Bayou Classic with one pom-pom each and just shake it for whomever was winning at the time. Oh, that's precious uh, that you kept that balance going. I understand your dad is a Gremlinite, but uh, uh, so you, you were really trying to take care of dad, but also happy uh, for Southern at the same time. So okay. that works out really well. I have family on both sides. So um, I think that the goal for my parents was just to kind of impress upon me the importance of having that foundation um, in a place where it was okay to be me to the fullest extent. So they didn't really care where I went. They just wanted me to understand the importance of HBCU culture. Um, yeah, but on that note, um, could you tell me a little bit about yourself, your background, um, role at Southern? Sure. So I'm a native of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, I've been born and bred right here near the campus of Southern University. I feel like I've been here my entire life. I grew up right in Southern Heights, which is a community in Scotlandville where the university sits. Uh, actually, my mom, who was a school teacher at the time, she taught fourth grade and she was going back to uh, Southern to get her master's in library science. And uh, she was pregnant with me during the, that time. And so I feel like I've been here, like I said, all my entire life. And I did have the opportunity to work here. Uh, so I've got my undergraduate degree in business from Southern, my master's in public administration from Southern, as well as a doctorate in public policy here from Southern as well. So uh, again, all of my life and uh, every time an opportunity presented itself to uh, be someplace other than Baton Rouge, something at the university or something here in town really prevailed and I ended up being right here where I am. I started as uh, an assistant to the vice chancellor for administration a number of years ago. I've been at the university now 27 years. Uh, and from that role, it just really morphed into a number uh, of different opportunities here. One being uh, policy development coordinator, 
uh, scholarship coordinator at a time that moved on into director of public affairs, uh, director of alumni affairs following that, uh, spent some time in alumni communications as well. And then on to uh, being the executive associate to our president at the time and moving from that role into where I am now, which is vice president for external affairs and university relations. Uh, we've got the great opportunity of working with a number of units here at Southern Communications, uh, special events, our museum and government, government and community relations all are part of our shop. So we get an opportunity to really brand and market the university, connect with our, our stakeholders, uh, external and, and, and internal as well, uh, to promote the Southern brand. Uh, and it's an amazing place to be. Uh, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to be here at Southern for the number of years that I've been here and doing the work that I do. I look forward to it every single day. Uh, I come in with look, what can we do new and now uh, at the university and really promote our students, our faculty uh, and our alumni uh, for all the great work that they're doing. Thank you. Um, I love that you said something new and now, but it's clear that you have a firm grasp of the history of the school, because I think that that is what is required in order for us to move forward. We have to have a respect for where we've been and also an open mind for where we are going um, as HBCU. So that kind of segues perfectly into my next question. Um, given the resurgence of HBCUs on the national stage, let's talk a little bit about their original purpose and mission and its particular relevance to today's cultural landscape and student needs. You know, Nichelle, uh, that is important to note because we, we say that we're historically Black universities across this country. It's 105 of us. Uh, and, and with that, we, we're really speaking to the history of how we came about. And obviously we were, it was a result of uh, segregation during a time where African-Americans and whites were not going to school together. And really, if you date it back to our actual origins, it comes about at a time where African-Americans were not being afforded the opportunity to read, write, and learn in that type of way that we see universities being what they are. So Southern dates back to 1880, but there are other HBCUs that go back even further than that. And, and keeping in mind, the majority of them started just after the Civil War, some slightly before, but they were there to now educate the freed slaves who needed that training to go on and be productive because they were no longer uh, in that bondage situation. And now we're in a place of how do you fend for yourself? How do you learn a trade? What can you do to make a living? And the HBCU stepped in and did that. So a number of our HBCUs were founded by either philanthropists, uh, white philanthropists, church organizations. Many of them were born out of church organizations. And in the case of Southern, we came about as a public HBCU. So you've got your private historically black colleges and universities, as well as your uh, state-supported uh, or public HBCUs. So we've got similar histories on a parallel type track, if you would, for public and private. But uh, doing doing the work that we do right now, it, it really doesn't matter if you're public or private, I think, for the most part. 
because as you said, this resurgence of HBCUs right now and in our mission to work with students who may not be as prepared for college, may not uh, be, well, may still be first-generation college attendees and college graduates, not necessarily having that legacy in their families. That is important to our mission that we, we do that type of work. And the relevance is still there, I think, uh, coming about the years that we've been around, many of us, you know, hitting our 100-year marks and more. I think what is happening too, we're seeing this resurgence in, in part because of the racial climate, perhaps, in our country that we're seeing right now. And that uh, is concerning for, for a number of people, I would think, I would imagine is concerning for uh, you and I both. And as, as we say that, we've got students that are looking to come into these environments where it is safe, it is warm, it is nurturing, it is welcoming, it is a place that you can be fully you and, and embrace your culture completely. Yes, and it prepares you to um, just kind of blend into other cultures that may not necessarily be be natural and may not necessarily be something that you are accustomed to. And so I know for me, there have been several um, instances throughout my career where I had to battle imposter syndrome, several instances where I felt like a fish out of water because the there were there were just cultural differences that I I didn't know how to adjust to but because of my HBCU experience I feel like I was prepared to kind of take a step back be observant you know get out of my own head and just perform regardless of how I feel and I think that's the power of the HBCU you come out believing that you know if it can be done I can do it because right. I've done it before I and I have people that believe in me and I have a network of peers and and older people and even younger people who are in school now that believe I can do it and and it's just always such a blessing for me when I walk around with um, any HBCU paraphernalia and it sparks a random conversation on the street always um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that sense of camaraderie sometimes is just it's just the steam that I need to keep pressing forward throughout my day it's like you know there is a community even beyond those four years of undergrad you know you, you touched on something that you talked about the power of, of HBCUs and indeed I think one of the strengths that comes along with it is the confidence building that is in place the boldness that it teaches you to to be about uh, as well as the camaraderie. You talked about the camaraderie that goes beyond your four years. Uh, our alumni networks are so incredibly strong. When we wear the paraphernalia, like you say, I love to travel. Every time I travel, I love to be in the airport with my Southern gear on and never fails. It strikes up at least one conversation, but sometimes it's several conversations uh, by other Southernites that I may run into in the airport. Uh, some of our, uh, well, how should I say, some of our foes uh, in the Southwestern Athletic Conference, they're always looking to trash talk. So we'll run into to our rival institutions and uh, they're looking to say something like, oh, you know, you're, you're from Southern. 
And so it always sparks a, a conversation. And even uh, it'll spark a conversation that says, well, what is Southern? Where is this? I, I'm not familiar with, with it. And that's an open door for us to start talking about, hey, well, let me tell you who we are and what we're about. So it's, a, it's always a joy to, to have that kind of um, camaraderie and going back to the power of the HBCU and the confidence that I see our graduates leave with. They may not have come with that level of confidence, but you see them as they, uh, as they mature through their, their time here at the institution and they leave with this, you know, this spirit of, as you said, I can do anything. I can do anything. And I think that's one of the, the things that we instill in our graduates across the board that we say, hey, look, you can do anything. You can come from humble and meager beginnings, wherever your level of pre preparation was prior to you getting here. And then we will bring you to the place that you need to be so that you can go out and compete equally in the world. So it's amazing. And, and you didn't ask this question, Michelle, but I will tell you my favorite day at the university is always commencement, always. It is, it is the day that we get a chance to see how we poured into these students, everything that we have been about, everything that we do every day is about graduating these students, having them march across the stage, having their name called, their families cheering. That's what we're here for. We're here to make sure that happens. So the groundskeeper, you know, the ladies answering, the men and women who answer the telephones, I mean, whatever you do, that's, that's what it's about. So it's about that moment. And so we have graduation three times a year, spring, summer, and fall. And we get a chance to at least those three days to celebrate, you know, all of the work that we do. I love that you pointed out the support staff because they are critical to the mission of the school. And I think a lot of times they don't get the recognition that they rightfully deserve. And so I want to commend you for pointing that out. And it, it, it adds to the culture. I remember when I was a freshman in college, one of the things that my mother and some of her friends pointed out was the need to learn the names of the support staff and actually recognize them as essential pieces of the college and not just people that I pass through every day that provide a service. Like they are human beings. They are um, exceptional people get to know them. And it, it kept me grounded. And also it, it just created, I think a world for me that a lot of people may have not I, I can't speak for everybody else. I don't know what their individual experiences were, but I do remember receiving several compliments, even even now um, over at Columbia, where um, recently a, um, a security officer said, I love talking to you because you make me feel seen. Wow. And it, it reminded me of what my mom told me you know, when you get to college, memorize people's names. Like they're they're more than their jobs. From sure. the, you know, from the lowest paid job to the highest one, they are all people. And when you have that perspective, I think it it really reaffirms the commitment of HBCUs. You know, so that even when we leave, we see potential in everybody. 
Um, I think every every alum should be <laughs> recruited by default. <laughs> when, I like that. Yeah, I, by I, default, that because you know you should be exuding all of your time at, at a university and, and and ready to speak on it immediately. Yeah, but you know when you see the humanity in everybody, then you see the potential in every student um, to per, you know if. If of course the school fits your career goals, I mean, you, there's nobody who, I mean, for whom the school is inaccessible to. Exactly. Um, you know, you can, because a lot of students believe that unless they came from a certain background or unless they have somebody in their family that has done whatever it is that they aspire to do before, then they can't do it. But the beautiful thing about HBCUs is we are a community of firsts. And Indeed. that takes a special type of person to be able to do that. And it takes a special type of environment to cultivate that. And I absolutely, I, I love just watching it happen, watching it unfold. I am the first to do insert random thing that people uh -huh. thought black folks couldn't do. And, and just watching them gracefully carry that mantle, it's, it's amazing. I love it. That is awesome. Michelle, you've got a great story to tell in and of yourself. So thank you for, for what you're doing in this, on this platform uh, to tell your story and the stories of others and, and other topics that come your way. Uh, it's, it's really great and refreshing to hear. Oh, thank you so much. Um, so there was a meme floating around a few weeks ago regarding HBCU homecomings. Um, forgive me if I don't quote it exactly the way that it was stated, but um, they spoke about the moments of um, nostalgia during homecoming and why that is so special to many alum. And specifically, they referenced the fact that HBCUs were special because they were the only places that black students had the opportunity to thrive as the majority and have their needs prioritized. Um, I thought that was really, really interesting and it resonated fully with me. So could you speak a little bit about why this is so important, important excuse me, for building the long-term morale that our students need? You know, it is important. Uh, I didn't see the meme, but there were so many memes that were going around and are still going around because homecoming season is in fact uh, in, in high gear right now. Uh, I think mostly October, some late September, early uh, into early November, uh, we get a chance to experience the homecomings at HBCUs and they are all so very epic. I think we've been in, we've been in a little battle trying to outdo one another. Uh, in terms of our alumni experience and our home, the alumni experience at homecoming. Uh, so I see that conversation going on over social media as well, where most of those memes pop up. But it, it is indeed a place where students have felt um, as though their needs were being prioritized, that the focus was on them. I've heard a number of students um, say things over the years like, when recruiters come to hire, we know they're coming to hire African-American talent. So we're not just in the pool of you know, students in general, but we know that they're looking to hire people like us. So that's always a plus uh, because obviously you're here to, you're in college so that you can do something later in life so that you can have a livelihood. 
and have a, a way of, of earning a living. And so that's a really big deal. And, and I will tell you, our career services office has uh, seen an uptick, a huge uptick in the number of organizations, companies, and so forth that are looking to hire students that have graduated from HBCUs. We were bursting at the seams this year for our career fair that was held on last month. And we've been seeing a steady and growing uh, interest in hiring uh, African-American students. So that's, that's important for us. But back to your point about the morale, it certainly builds morale that you can come back to a place that nurtured you. You, you come back and you wanna say thanks for the nurturing. You wanna come back and just have that moment of nostalgia. I, I saw lots of alums this past weekend. Of course, homecoming was at Southern this past weekend. And they were going back to familiar places, going back to spots saying, hey, this is where I did this. Oh, I want to go to the cafeteria because I remember this meal. And I remember that worker, as you said, Michelle, uh, I remember, you know, I want to see if she's still there. He's still there working in the cafeteria so that I can say hi. Then I had one alum, and this really touched me, had one alum who said, hey, I want to go back to the dorm room that I lived in. I don't I don't want to necessarily see the room, but I want to just go back and give the student that's in that room just a little something to say, hey, this was my room when I was in school. This is where I am now. This is what I'm doing. And here's, you know, $50 so that you can, you know, do whatever you need. Just sort of a random surprise visit to go back to the room where they had so many memories. I said, I, you know, I hadn't even thought about that. That, that was a great thing. And then another alum just saying things like, I wanna go back and see old professors. Are they still here? I wanna show them where I am now, what I'm doing now. And obviously social media has closed that gap so you can really keep up with individuals more, uh, but we still have faculty that are not necessarily on social media, not like that. But uh, when they, they get a chance to come back and see students who say thank you, that's a morale builder on both sides for both the student and or the alum rather and the university we get a chance to everyone feels good because you know that the work that you've done has really meant something to someone and you you see them they bring their kids back they bring their spouses back families come back it's and we're now we're still entertaining first generation students of course who are the first in their families but we also are rolling around to third generation students who go back and say, hey, my grandparents went here, my mom went here, and now I'm here. That's really refreshing as well. And that's that too is a morale builder from the standpoint of a family legacy. Like we've got we've got roots in this institution. We didn't just show up yesterday. Uh, and even speaking of roots, there are a number of people who never attended our institutions, but are huge supporters of Southern. And that's a morale builder as well because they identify with their HBCU, wherever it may be, because they're in the community. It's like, well, I didn't graduate. I didn't go to school there, but it's my HBCU. It's in my community. I'm going to be supportive. In your case, Nichelle, you know, you, you didn't go to Southern, but your dad went to, went to Grambling you always support us you 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 know you're like hey i was in the state southern grambling i'm going to support them both because you felt like those were your hbcus 
And we get that kind of love throughout the state of Louisiana and beyond. We, we get that love, especially when it comes to, um, like you said, Bayou Classic. Comes around the Bayou Classic, the nation is watching us. Uh, some folks are picking sides and others are just like, hey, I wanna see the bands perform. <laughs> so they wanna get a good halftime show. Um, yes, so on that note, I want to make a huge shout out to Miss Ann Smith, um, the wonderful, wonderful um, mentor and, and also the person responsible for setting up this interview and connecting me to Miss Merrick. Um, thank you for all you do um, at Southern, you know, as um, a member emeritus of the board of directors. Um, also to my cousins, um, can't forget the fam, um, Aeneas and Tracy Williams and happy birthday, cousin Tracy, if you're listening or if you do listen um, later on. Um, love you guys. Um, thank you for your roles in my life, um, Achilles, just the entire family. And as you mentioned, Grambling State University, um, that's my father's HBCU. And I, I want to tell a story, a quick one, about um, Jackson State University. My cousin, um, Stacy Davis, um, is a graduate and, and others who came behind her. But it was at her graduation that I first saw a TAM and the three stripes um, for, on the doctoral gowns. And I remember asking my mom what that meant. And she explained to me that that required a lot of school and those people were the ones who taught the college students. And um, so I called it three stripes and a fuzzy hat. <laughs> and I said, no, I want one of those. I'm gonna get one when I grow up. I don't know what you have to be to have one, but I want one of those. And when I finished law school and got my three stripes and a fuzzy hat, I sent it to my cousin um, who, um, then also had her three stripes in a fuzzy hat. And we just laughed about that moment. I must've been about um, five or six years old, but just the importance of exposure. Um, you know, Jackson State will always be near and dear. Um, listening to Get Ready at Homecoming, <laughs> watching them, you know, the band trek up the hill, you know, all of those things really just kind of cemented in my mind the importance of representation and just knowing that there was a place out there meant for me. And so um, I just, I wanna take this moment to just acknowledge um, all of the HBCUs, um, my two, um, Spellman and Xavier, um, where I'm a graduate and just all of them. Um, I, I can't name them all as she said, there are 105. But, um, you know, these are ones that I have direct ties to and the people that I love and care about graduated from. And I'm also an adjunct professor at Morris Brown College in um, the Atlanta University Center. And so shout out to my students and colleagues and all of the wonderful people who have um, worked tirelessly to bring that institution back. And, um, you know, we're in the middle of the hard reset and we are still going strong. So. Um, please take a look at the institution if you have not already and get plugged into the wonderful things going on there. So yeah, um, had to had to stop and do that. So no, I, I completely understand. And yeah, cheering for Morris Brown all the way. Very glad to, 
to see that they are um, back on the mend and doing really well. And definitely Mrs. Ann Smith, she is our chair emeritus of the Board of Supervisors here at Southern University. She had served as chair a couple of years ago and uh, we're really excited. She's done some great things as, as chairman of our board and she's still a member of the board. And so we do get an opportunity to see her quite often. And uh, just to make you laugh, uh, Achilles and Tracy and I, we were all in school together here at Southern. Uh, so I know, know, know your family well. And uh, indeed, loving this three stripes and a fuzzy hat. I hadn't heard it referred to as that, but I'm going to keep that in mind. Uh, three stripes and a fuzzy hat, which really is uh, speaking to our academic regalia and the, uh, the academic regalia that the attorneys wear as they graduate from law school and then our doctoral students uh, as they graduate as well. So those are um, three stripes and a fuzzy. <laughs> yes, and I, I have... You know, every time I look at those pictures, it's like, you know, this dream is now my reality. And mm -hmm. it's just a beautiful thing to just have a dream as a kid and, and also to nurture those dreams as parents. It's so important to answer the questions because when my mom explained to me as we watched my cousin graduate, what that was at a level that I could understand, mm -hmm. it instilled in me this sense of, you know, pride for one and um just it was aspirational in ways like yes i can i can do that i i now know what it takes to get my three stripes and a fuzzy hat and um you know just just being able to have that age appropriate conversation that does not undermine the questions of the children that's where the seeds are planted you know taking the time to actually answer what they ask because you never know how that um you know, changes the trajectory of their lives. That that one simple question for me, you know, it's stuck. I'm gonna get three stripes and a fuzzy hat no matter what I have to do. Like, yeah, I to and you did. <laughs> you know, yeah, and, you know and, and hopefully, well, I'll, I'll get another three stripes and a fuzzy uh, <laughs> a few years um, from now. You're right. It doesn't hurt to have more than one. Yeah. Um, it, but it, it's all a means to an end, you know. Um, you know my story and, and really kind of the why behind it. And, mm -hmm. so, you know, just building the capacity to make the change in the world that you want to see. Um, you know, that that's the whole point of the three stripes. That's the whole point of getting a seat at the table, being able to use it to um, empower others and create access um, for those who may not have that access, you know, given a lot of the barriers that they face. So um, if you are just tuning in, this is Excellence at All Costs. Um, I am Nichelle, your host, and joining me is Ms. Robin Merrick of Southern University. So um, yeah, go back and listen to all the good stuff. We're talking HBCUs right now, the beauty of the culture, homecoming, all of that. So if you have not listened, go back, start from the beginning. And we, we're just excited to have you, uh, Ms. Merrick. So uh, moving on, we have a couple more questions left. Um, so we spoke a few days ago and touched on the topic of former governor PBS Pinchback. And for those of you who are listening, we kind of dabbled around that topic in some of the previous podcasts, but I wanted Miss um, Merrick to elaborate on um, 
Governor Pinchback's role in the founding of Southern University and just kind of shedding some light on the importance of voter engagement and the power that comes with the ballot. No question. Um, PBS or Pickney Bowes uh, Stewart Pinchback. That is what the PBS stands for. Uh, so PBS Pinchback and Henry D. Moss and T.T. Allain were three members of uh, legislature who were very instrumental in the founding of Southern University in 1880. Uh, we found we were founded in 1880 in New Orleans. Uh, I don't know that everyone is aware that our founding was actually our, our original location was in what is uh, part of downtown New Orleans right now. And then we relocated to Baton Rouge in 1914. So our uh, beginning years were in New Orleans. Uh, we recognized it as an A&M institution, which means agricultural and mechanical. We were in need of more space to do that kind of training, which obviously in downtown New Orleans is not conducive for agricultural training like that. So we moved to uh, this location in Baton Rouge and they were actually scouting several locations. And it ended up being where we are now uh, which is right here on the Mississippi River Bluff in uh, North Baton Rouge in the Scotlandville community. And uh, we've been here since, like I said, 1914. And it's it's a great history. I think uh, that everyone should know that this property that we're on, on right now is a former plantation. Uh, the university now, we have a building that dates back to 1840 that was, uh, as best we can tell, an overseer's house. We still have that building. We, we preserve that building. Uh, many of our students, it's, it's right here on the river as well. Many of our students uh, take their graduation photos by that building. Uh, it's really a testament to the ancestors, if you will. We, we hear that language a lot, that you know, my, I am my ancestors' wildest dream. And that is the case, as we see. So PBS Pinchback ended up being governor, going back to, to that part of the question, PBS Pinchback ended up being uh, Louisiana's first and only African-American governor. And that happened during Reconstruction, following the Civil War. Uh, that's how he was elected, but he was only governor for a short time. Uh, we have, of course, named a building after him, uh, the state capitol down in Louisiana, and our, our current governor, really paid quite a bit of homage to PBS Pinchback and the role that he played in both the legislature in Louisiana and as governor and his role in creating Southern University. But to that point, because of his government ties, uh, brings us to that part of the question where we want to talk about the importance of voter engagement and understanding the power that comes that comes with the ballot. And, you know, I, I just never thought I would see in my lifetime and I digress just a bit. I never thought I would see in my lifetime the struggles that we're having right now as it relates to um, voter participation, where we are, where voting rights are being challenged uh, across the nation. That That is very concerning. I thought we had turned that corner in the 1960s uh, where, you know, African-Americans are granted the right to vote. Women prior, prior to that, um, as, as you know, Nichelle, women, were not afforded the opportunity to vote in this country. And so the women's suffrage movement comes along. Women get the right to vote. Then African-Americans uh, get the right to vote. 
many challenges as a result it um, followed that um, that right to vote and here we are now um, sort of a modern day attack on on those rights so yes it is indeed important that we vote uh, and that we be engaged in this process and so much so that here here at the university and I would venture to say this is happening at most HBCUs across the country we have efforts a foot that really involve our students and engage them in this voter process. Uh, here at Southern, we call it S votes. And uh, it's, it's, it's a three-pronged approach uh, that deals with registration. That is uh, voter registration, that, that's, that's where you start. Uh, it then moves into voter education, where we are making sure our students are aware of the issues that are on the ballot and of the upcoming ballots. And then actual participation, that is getting out the vote. And today, uh, early voting in Louisiana started on yesterday. And so today we have uh, working with some of our community partners that will be on the campus uh, helping students to early vote uh, in advance of the November 8th election. And of course, November 8th is on a Tuesday. Uh, so that is election day. It's a, it's a school day. Um, so we are... Uh, we're, we're really trying to encourage students to vote ahead of time and even making some arrangements for them to vote on election day as well. So yeah, it, it is indeed important. The power clearly is is there. You've heard many people say that often. If it weren't important, they wouldn't try to take it from you. And uh, that is unfortunate, but we recognize that when people mobilize and express their opinions at the ballot box, we see significant change. And so on this particular year, we're coming up to these midterm elections uh, for congressional seats and, and Senate and so forth. We're seeing the Roe v. Wade matter on the ballot, even though it's not on the ballot, it is on the ballot by way of some of the other, by way of the candidates and, and where they where they stand on that issue. So this is going to be an interesting day on November 8th, and I, I definitely encourage everyone to watch and, and, and carefully see what's going to happen, not just here in Louisiana, but across the nation, you know, where we may see a shift in the balance of um, in the balance of power in terms of the parties. And even there's still um, a contingent out there that's looking to rise as a, a solid third party. So it's a lot to watch and for anyone who is a student or just a strong observer of electoral politics this is one this is indeed one to watch um, we're seeing some things especially in georgia uh, pennsylvania what's going to happen and while we're watching those things we are still recognizing that we're focusing on what's happening in louisiana uh, understanding that all politics are local Never forget that. That is always that. It, 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 I promise you, it just always drills back down to politics or local. And so, watch that as we as we move forward. So, yes, it is important. Um, SU votes, educate, register, register, educate, participate. That's where we are right now with our students. And it's a beautiful thing that you have the educate piece in there because we want. To be informed voters, we actually don't just want to, um, you know, to pick a name and, and just press submit. We want to know how this is going to impact us, but we don't want just the robustness of the information to make people afraid to vote. 
So go out there, learn what you can, but please don't let anything stop you from casting your vote. That is your right. It is your right to vote however you want to vote. It is your right to understand what you're voting for. It's your right to ask questions. Um, There are plenty of organizations out there that are nonpartisan that are willing to meet you where you are and just answer some of those questions. I'll be posting um, just, you know, a host of organizations that you can turn to if you do have questions, you know, um, this process can be intimidating for some, but don't let that stop you. Now is not the time, um, as as you pointed out, uh, Robin, now is not the time to let fear um, be debilitating. You have to get out there, cast your vote, um, ask questions. There's no question is a dumb question. Um, just right. really let your voice be heard because, you know, when it comes to the ballot, all voices are equal. And so your voice matters just as much as anybody else's and don't let anybody downplay that. I agree, Michelle. And I, I did want to add on that note that uh, while we do have our SU Votes initiative, we are very, very, very nonpartisan in the work that we do. We do not tell students which way to vote, how to vote. We simply are encouraging them to vote and to understand the issues that are at play. So that's that's where we are. Uh, I don't uh, didn't want to confuse in case anyone heard that. Uh, we are encouraging students to early vote. We're encouraging them to vote, but we're not telling them what to vote for. So that that is where we are as a public institution. We are not uh, endorsing candidates or anything of that sort. Oh, absolutely. I love that you pointed out that, you know, as a lawyer, um, shameless disclaimers are always (laughs) always, always welcome. Uh, But yeah, uh, we just want to see participation and we want to see informed participation. You know your needs. Um, you know the the matters that affect you. Um, you know, you're living this thing and you are an expert at being you. You are an expert at your experience. And so while you may not necessarily consider yourself an expert in politics, you are an expert in, you know, what you're going through. Nobody else has your story. And so when you hear something that resonates with you, be confident in taking a stand against whatever it is that impedes your ability to be excellent at all costs. Whatever it is that impedes your ability to have the American dream, you know, that is, that's what you should be concerned about, not what's going on on these commercials, these ads on the social media. Um, you know, while they may be helpful in letting you know what's out there, we vote based on our individual experiences, the experiences of people who we care about, and just the reality that we would like to see in the world. And right. don't let all of the biases, don't let anybody else's opinion impact how you decide to vote. You are an expert at you and you know what you want to see. That's enough. So rest in that, be confident in that, and go place your vote. So um, had to get that in there. (laughs) No, that's fantastic. Uh, Very well said. And you're right, excellence at all costs. Just get it done. But voting is is just really the way to be engaged in the... um, and what is going on in your communities at every level. And uh, I just, you know, I remember make, my parents making sure that 
we voted uh, in every election and um and i will tell you my i don't know why I, I, I still really don't understand why my dad always made sure he voted early he was there when the polls opened uh, not early voting but on the day of on election day the polls opened at 5 30 or 6 in the morning he was there that was important to him to get it done early to be in line first and get that vote done so uh crack of dawn he was up and out making sure he was casting his ballot and uh that's important and I, i'll tell you i uh i voted in a, a, an election here in baton rouge back in the spring back in april it was um only one item on my particular ballot that day and i had forgotten about that it was election day i forgot and i was out of town and i was taking my time coming back because i didn't really have anything to do and i looked up and i said oh it's election and we have an election and i didn't early vote so i raced to the polls raced back in town got there about seven minutes before the polls closed i was the last person that voted and would you believe the person i voted for won by two votes and i said oh my <laughs> and so his challenger his opponent challenged that race. He said, you know, I want to recount because it was so close. And so they recounted the ballots and it was still two votes. And so I'm liking to think that I am definitely one of those two votes because uh, I made sure that I got back to vote. So every vote does indeed count. And even when they do a recount, there it is. You're, you're there. So that's my personal testimony on that, uh, racing back into town, getting there seven minutes before the polls closed and uh, casting what ended up being one of two winning votes. Well, we are coming upon our last question, but it's been a joy so far. Um, I'm just loving this conversation. And when you mentioned being the last one, I want to impress upon our listeners the importance of staying in line. If you made it to the line on time, they have to give you the opportunity to cast your ballot. So do not leave. If you showed up on time and you were in line, stay there and cast your vote. Um, a lot of people may not be able to be early, you know, you know, work obligations, so many things going on. But if you made it to that line, you deserve to vote. Stay there. Um, fight through it, but by all means, make sure that you do cast your ballot. And so um, with that, we are coming down to our last, um, you know, our last conversation topic, um, Bayou Classic. So um, definitely shameless plug. I want to see Bayou Classic just return to, um, you know, just, just its greatness in terms of the number of attendees. I remember um, when the late, great Eddie Robb retired and, you know, just how the Bayou Classic was, was that event, you know, it was sold out, <laughs> um, you know, it, and it, it sold out, you know, repetitively. And, you know, we had, we're, we're coming off of COVID and all these things, but these sporting events, um, all of these, the things that are going on with HBCUs that, that appear recreational in nature, um, those are the things that fund, um, well, that help to fund rather, um, the education that our students receive. 
So um, please go out, support um, our students. They don't just need to see your faces. Um, they need to see your dollars. And so when you support these events, when you buy tickets, you're actually helping to educate a child, a young adult rather. So definitely um, Bayou Classic, it's Thanksgiving weekend. Get your tickets. Um, it will be in the Superdome. Take the time to, um, to participate in that event if you are able. Um, and not just the Bayou Classic. Um, you know, we're hosting Southern on this conversation. So um, that that particular event is what we're talking about. But just any HBCU event, you know, get a ticket if you can. If you can afford it, definitely support. And um, on that note, um, there there's a lot of social media joy just and, and, and just... I don't know what to call it. I'm actually at a loss, but it's just, it's, you know, it's almost palpable. Like there's just so much joy surrounding this, this cultural, um, cultural phenomenon that is homecoming. Um, and, and so I, I talked about, um, with Miss Mary earlier, just the turn up being real. Like it's a place where we can just breathe. We can be us. And we talked about it earlier um, in the podcast. You know, everybody feels ho- like they're home. Everybody feels like they belong. They feel seen. And um, on that note, the last question um, that I have for you, Miss Merrick, is for you to elaborate a little bit about the need to simply breathe. And not just at homecoming, but just for Black professionals in general. We deal with so many microaggressions. We deal with just so much stuff on the day-to-day basis. Um, Why it's important to have that self-care, to have that community, to laugh a little um, in order to be able to grapple with the challenges that we face as a community and moving us forward. Indeed, Michelle. And I will tell you, um, yes, this weekend for homecoming, the turn up was real. And I I think that contributed to some self-care for many people who were here. And uh, and also Bayou Classic will be another type of turn up. And and we've had near near sellout crowds for the last few years. So that that's awesome to know. Maybe not quite the sellout, but we've been near sellout and, and, and just the warm feeling of being in the you know, the Superdome for the two uh, HBCUs coming together. And we, you know, it's really the granddaddy of all Bayou, I mean, granddaddy of all football classics, uh, certainly in the HBCU world. And we we are proud to say that, that we've been doing this for now, what will be 49 years um, this year. No, I'm sorry, I may have got that date, that number wrong. But, but nonetheless, we've been doing it longer than anybody else. I, I did want to point that out. So, so on that note of uh, breathing and really in, imparting the whole notion of self-care, it is critical because so much is coming at us right now. I think even pre-COVID things were coming, but even during COVID, we started to see just how vulnerable I think we were because we didn't know what we didn't know during that COVID period. I also think that COVID has had an impact on everyone in some way, shape, or form. I don't know what it is for 
for you and I may not know what it is for myself, but I, and even groups of people, it has had an impact whether we recognize it or not. And I don't know, and I think it's some of that not recognizing that is creating angst for us, if you will, creating some angst and the greater need for breathing and self-care and really pausing, pressing the pause button and just saying, okay, look, I need to, I need to pause for a moment. I need to breathe for a moment. I need to assess where I am at this moment. And look at the moment, look at maybe a few moments out from that, just sort of where am I going? What am I trying to do? Because it's very easy with so much coming at you via mainstream media and now this greater influx of social media. We have a number of platforms, a number of sites that people visit on a regular basis. You know, Nichelle, that didn't exist several years ago. We didn't have that constant flow of chatter. You know, you had television, you had the news, you had a limited number of television stations to watch. Television went off at midnight on the weekends and maybe 11 o'clock during the week, and you may not be old enough to remember that. And the national anthem would play, and then you would get static on the television. So no one anywhere was watching TV because it was off and you went to bed. And now we've got cable television that has now morphed into direct television and it has also morphed into streaming services. There's so much content out there that, you know, I don't know that we're recognizing that we're being flooded and overwhelmed with content everywhere you turn. It's on your phone, it's on your computer, it's on your television, it's on electronic billboards. It's on the radio, it's on, you know, it's just everywhere. And I don't know that we're stepping back from that enough to say, okay, look, I don't have to see it all. I don't have to hear it all. I don't have to be inundated with this. I need to control this in such a way that I have designated times that I'm going to be on social media, designated times that I'm going to watch the news. And how much of that am I going to let infiltrate into my, my psyche such that, you know, before I know it, it's taken hold. So I think it's a it's an issue of breathing and taking back control over what you're allowing into your space so that you can really be effective. Absolutely. We could probably talk on this for a while. So I'm gonna put a I'm gonna press pause right there for <laughs> the question. Well, you are welcome back anytime, you know, whenever you want to have a part two to this conversation. Um, consider this your invite, but yeah. Uh, so before we get, you know, close out with the topic of self-care and just taking um, a chance to, to breathe, I want to point out that there are student athletes, some of the most talented athletes that are in our time period, watching how we show up when they're making critical decisions on where they spend their four years. And so when we show up for us, it sends a signal to those high school students that, hey, I can come here and get the same love that I get from, you know, an SEC school, um, even more so. Um, and, you know, I can get the TV time because, you know, um, it, what's happening at Jackson State is evidence of this. You know, when we 
when we put ourselves out there, when we show up for our teams, when we support our kids, um, it makes it easier to recruit. And, um, you know, pre-desegregation, our students could thrive at the HBCUs as athletes. But now, um, you know, they do want, you know, a lot of them want this to be their career. And so they're making the best decision um, for themselves in order to, to be seen. And so when we show up, when we give them that platform and when we make that platform amazing, then it makes it easier for them to to step into this nurturing environment without the fear of missing out on the exposure that they need to thrive professionally. So mm-hmm. there are so many layers to why it is important to show our students love and um, just to cheer them on and make them feel that the the SWAC, um, the me all of these um, organiz- these sports um, organizations are just as valuable as um, our big minor I mean big majority um sports um, groups so yeah show up um and yeah as we wrap up just take time for you in this season we're approaching um the holiday season take time to breathe um in doing so you are not wasting time you're not being lazy you're simply preserving yourself so that you can be more productive and you can have the tools you need to prevent burnout and just be excellent and so don't feel guilty about taking a break breathe because if you don't do it then um, your body will do it for you so make the decision to do it before you have to um, and that is all. Any final thoughts, Ms. Merrick? Thank you, Michelle. This has been a, a very uh, inter- entertaining and encouraging conversation, I will say. Um, congratulations to you and the work that you're doing once again. I'm really uh, proud to know you now that we've known each other now a few days uh, and getting to know you even more. Thank you again for, for this opportunity and, and certainly uh, there is much more that we can talk about uh, in terms of the self-care part, supporting our HBCUs part, and uh, and voting. So th- I think we'll leave with those those three things. Support your HBCU, get out and vote, and take care of yourself. Absolutely. Um, and to close out, this is Michelle, and you are listening to Excellence at All Costs. Have a beautiful week. I'll see you soon.